welcome to Language Chats. This is a podcast for language lovers in Australia and beyond, where we share our enjoyment and experiences of language learning with you. I'm Beck. Hi, I'm Penny. We both live in Australia and we love learning languages and we love chatting to each other about it. And today we're chatting about something a little bit different, but something that Beck and I have been talking about probably since we first met, um, and that is language learning in Australia, um, how it works, what we think is good and what we think we could improve about it if, you know, as outsiders to the whole language learning landscape, what would we change? It's funny, Penny, I feel like we've talked about this, you're right, we have talked about this sort of on and off for about as long as we've known each other, but always in bits and pieces because there are so many parts so many parts to this. Yeah. I think when we, when we have like, when we talk about language learning in Australia and the language learning landscape in really any country, there are so many facets of the cultural makeup, the linguistic makeup of the country, education and educational systems as well. So there are, and, and everyone's different experiences too. So there's, I, um, yeah. there's a lot to this. <laughs> there is, there is. And I think back, you're the same as me, as we started delving into this topic it really was, you know, it was unending the amount of stuff we could have read and thought about and oh, talked yeah. about, um, which is which is pretty cool. I know. Um, I've never felt nerdier in my life reading some I of the information know. that we were doing <laughs> on my weekend. I was like, wow, I'm enjoying this so much. Why didn't I enjoy reading stuff like this when I was at uni so much? Hmm. <laughs> oh, Beck, we're growing up. <laughs> I know. <laughs> so there's lots that we can talk about, but what I thought would be, you know, a fun thing, <laughs> a fun thing, um, something that we could share with, with everyone was, you know, as language learners that we are and that we've, you've had experience learning languages through the education system here in Australia and through the higher education system as well. And as adults, we've kind of had, you know, the, all touch points really, um, Mm. What, as, you know, lay people and outsiders to this whole, I guess, language policy making field, what, what do we feel needs improving or what, what do we see as the things that are working or the things that we would change in Australia? There's, there's one thing in particular, actually, that I really have noticed as an adult. So I, I don't think that I noticed this so much when I was when I was learning at school, um, but definitely increasingly over time, I've realised that there so many people in Australia speak a second language at home. Yeah. So yeah. Um, it's it's very it's very normal for people to speak more than one language, but it doesn't feel that way. So. Like on an average day, doing doing going about your daily business, whether you're working or at school or at home or looking after kids or, you know, I mean, all of the things that you could possibly be doing. Our society is so monolingual in so many ways, um, you know, and, and unless you are in an area that is particularly culturally focused. So, you know, there are there are parts of of, um, of Melbourne, for example, where you would find particular cultural communities or linguistic communities would find themselves and then in, in those places you may find you know more signage for example in um in other languages like Vietnamese in Richmond um yeah. <laughs> but you know on a, on a regular basis just just wandering around and watching the tv and listening to the radio and reading the media it 
English is number one position and it is easy to forget how many people do speak other languages. Yeah, it's a very good point, isn't it? Well, yeah, I think I, I don't think I ever realised well enough, certainly as a, as a kid and growing up, how many people spoke other languages and what impact that had on their lives because every interaction we would always have would be in English. And I think that that really impacts learning of languages because for so long it did feel like there wasn't that much like, like it wouldn't be useful to you necessarily to be learning another language. Like it's, it's hard to tell kids at school, oh, it could be really helpful to you one day to learn another language or to, to foster another language. Like maybe you, you speak a language at home, but like, you know, would you, maybe you only speak it verbally with, with your family. Maybe you don't even necessarily really read or write in that other language. And why, why would you bother keeping it up if it's only really to communicate with maybe your parents or your cousins or your aunts and uncles. Um, and people keep saying, oh, you know, it could be good to have another language one day. Mm, I can't necessarily see what for. Now, as an adult, I can definitely see what for. I mean, I, we just find them interesting <laughs> as language learners. But but also I can see that there are other benefits to, you know, to general life, to, um, you know, to travel, to um, different ways of seeing things that make other languages useful. But that certainly never came across to me, I think, as a child. I think that's a really good point that there was and probably still is no communication, well, little communication about the benefits of learning a language to kids, to parents, um, to teenagers, to schools even. Um, and is it because it's such it's such an intangible thing? Like it's a lot of it is hard to measure what the benefits are I mean we can Mm. talk about um, the benefits of having a second language from your career perspective um, but a lot of the research actually shows that it's you know it is really difficult to measure what those benefits actually are Um, and until you really start getting out into the world and you can you have that feeling of oh wow I can actually communicate with people other people in other places in a language that I've studied that you you don't necessarily get that feeling of why it is such a good thing. Yes, um, I, I completely agree with that. And I think that, that that is the hardest thing to communicate because it's interesting that you bring up like, you know, the idea of languages being good for your career. So like that is, I feel like that's the number one point that that comes up when you're when you're like a teenager and you're at school and learning languages people often say oh like languages will be you know good you might you might want to use a language for a job one day um or like it could look good on your cv and like that is a is actually quite a difficult concept to to get across I think to teenagers when they have no idea what their working lives are going to look like yet so it's (laughs) it's hard for them to like imagine what that might mean unless it's something quite tangible that very much involves a language like I don't know working in diplomacy maybe or um you know working in another country where they have to use another language to do their job um but Even, even I felt as a student of a um a languages degree I felt that the benefits weren't necessarily communicated either. And this is, you know, this is at higher education level um, mm. that there almost were limited pathways for graduates of those type of degrees. And there wasn't that kind of lateral broad thinking about how studies of languages could actually contribute to every facet 
of your life or your career, not just a narrow pathway of, say, teaching or working with languages in a linguistics or an interpretation, translation kind of setting. Um, And I don't know. I mean, I went to uni, what, 20 years ago, and I, I hope that it's changed, but maybe it hasn't. I don't know. Like maybe there's there's still that kind of not that kind of broad thinking about how language kind of interspersed into every kind of facet of our lives and the same thing should apply to when we're Mm. thinking about our careers and our professions as well. Well, I I wonder if part of it is that I guess funding for language education has sometimes come through a push for using languages in for economic reasons. Mm. So... Um, like, <laughs> I guess when we, in the past, like I remember when the, there was a real push for Asian languages, the start of the push for Asian languages, I guess, in the, um, what would you say it was in the nineties? Yep. Or was I'd, it earlier yep. than that? Yeah. Probably the nineties uh, using Asian languages and, and making sure that Australians were, well, Australian students had more access to be able to learn Asian languages if they wanted to at school. But the drive for that was was an economic one or at least yeah. an, an international sort of d- diplomacy international relations type push um because of the the region that australia is in and that and that does make sense um but it is that is only one way of seeing how we use languages so we could look back and think well has this has this push for asian languages really really succeeded and i think in some ways it has because the percentage of, of kids and students studying an Ang- Asian language has definitely increased. Um, Indonesian and uh, Chinese Mandarin are the two most studied languages at primary level in Victoria, at least. Um, and then French followed by Japanese are the two most studied languages at a, a secondary level in Victoria. Um, so, I mean, based on those types of statistics, you could say that having this push for Asian languages has has had an effect. But then overall, the number of kids studying any language has decreased. So mm, so where okay. where has it where has it all gone wrong? <laughs> yeah. And I guess it's and it's also not just about how many kids have studied it at school, but also how many continue. So like how how many continue from a primary to a secondary level, but then also how many after that point continue to potentially use it in their in their lives, whether mm. that's in, in their working life or in their personal life in some way, um, because it doesn't just stop with school. <laughs> for sure, for sure. Yes. And that's, and that's what part. is mm. – well, yeah, that's right. But, um, yeah, it's a really, a really interesting push because, I, look, I tend to agree. I mean, anecdotally, I feel like you, you wouldn't know that there has been an increase in more kids learning – Asian languages at schools. <laughs> no, yep. But then but, again, um, we're talking about potentially kids who have moved away from European languages yes. to learn an Asian language or their school has moved moved away, not necessarily the numbers overall increasing. And then like you said, it's, it's about the continuity, isn't there? Like mm. if the kids are – this is something that <laughs> we've talked about. It's a bugbear of, of mine is that if – if you say you study Japanese in primary school, but then in high school your only option is to study French or Italian, for example, well then 
the the whole system has kind of failed you in a sense from a language learning perspective because <laughs> you spent your formative years learning one language and then you as a 12 13 year old would then need to jump and learn another one and I think you know any language is great for sure it's not about necessarily the language you're learning but it's about I guess fostering the love for language learning in a young age and then helping that continue throughout your education and then on to adulthood as well and I think if Mm. you know you're jumping around and it's different languages and different emphasis and and you know perhaps there's a bit of a lack of a lack of want even for schools and teachers and parents to encourage language learning then kids definitely pick up on that for sure mm. and I guess you've been saying this recently too looking into schools for your little ones haven't you I have and I think that's really been eye-opening because um I think because it's been, you know, such a gap since when I was at school and now that I'm mm. looking at schools for my kids, it's like, oh, it, is this how it's done now? It's um, it's funny because all the primary schools in our area, you know, teach different languages. There's French, there's German, there's Indonesian. Um, and the high schools all have different language programs as well and some schools even do <laughs> the primary section of the school does French then the high school section of the school does German and I'm like what how is this possible um yeah and even at the same so that's at the same that's school. at the same school <laughs> yeah yeah different mm, campus but same school yeah yeah um yeah and I think I mean I definitely pay more attention to this than probably other parents do um, because it's, you know, it's important to me. Um, but, yeah, I think I've just been shocked that that it's um, it's kind of so haphazard and it all comes down to a lot of what the schools and the teachers have been saying is the availability of staff that they can recruit to be teachers for those languages Um but also I think there's an element of, you know, pressure from the community and from families as well as to, to what language they should be learning. Um, but it would be great if there was a, a, a more consistent and more kind of holistic approach to language learning. And one of the things that I came across um, while I was reading up was that in a small but growing number of schools in Australia and it's not um, necessarily about immersion but what they're doing is they're collaborating with specific subjects and using the second language to teach some of those subjects instead of using English. So, for example, geography or science might be taught in the language that that school's using, French, for example. Okay, um, so it's quite similar to the, yeah, I guess, bilingual school model. It is, except that it's not a full, I guess, bilingual program. Mm, it's, it's picking just and choosing classes. Yeah, some, of the, some of the subjects. So that was something interesting mm-hmm. that I came across. I thought, oh, you know, this, this could be something really interesting and meaningful to explore if, if schools were able to look at that down the track. But I know funding is always, always an issue for schools public state schools in particular and I guess it's about it is about having the teachers that have the skills to be able to offer that as well 
It is. And I, I did read something too, Beck. You might have read the same thing that, you know, um, having qualified staff to teach these languages has been an issue for, for decades. And mm. one of the, the policy pieces I read or one of the articles I read said, you know, well, let's just train more staff. Like it's obvious, like if, if we're struggling to get teachers of these languages, let's train more. Um, mm. And I know there's some some blocks, I suppose, in getting teachers who need to have qualifications from this country as well as the language skills. It's like a double, <laughs> a double whammy. Yeah. Um, it absolutely is a struggle. Yeah. <laughs> um, but, you know, that would be if if the country was serious, I guess, about um, improving language education, then that would be a one one good point to spend some, I guess, some money and some direction on. Mm. And I, I, I'm sure there are if there are any teachers listening out there. Um, I'm sure you've got plenty to say about this. I feel like this is a um, probably a topic that we could we could go on about for a really long time <laughs> when it comes to funding and teachers and the availability of um, the availability of teachers with the with the right skills um, or also just encouraging people who have the right skills to go into teaching um, which is a whole a whole nother question um, but there's I think that's an, an ongoing an ongoing struggle for lots of people who may be interested in teaching or may have the skills for it, um, but who are not always enticed by by other parts of um, of the profession. For sure, and I feel like too, Beck, that as outsiders, <laughs> we've got yep. we've just you know I guess sharing what we've observed and our own opinions. But you're right, there there are so many people who are actually in the thick of it, who oh, yeah. um, have a really deep understanding of how the, these things kind of work and yes. play out in a in a school education kind of exactly. setting. Exactly. I have I have a lot of teachers in my life. Um <laughs> you, do, you do. And yeah, lot, lots of teachers in my life and I know they or they all have have opinions on on this and I think it's very it's a yeah, a really really complicated complicated issue um not just in Australia but in so many other countries too about the value of teaching and the value of education. Um in the way in the way that we value teachers so you know how when we look at how for example at a very at a very easy to understand level it's like how much we pay teachers and you know what does that reflect about how much we value them as a society um and then in secondary to that how do you encourage people to become teachers if they don't feel like they are necessarily valued um in the way that they should be. Although interestingly, I guess with coronavirus and and the situation that we've all found ourselves in in the last little while, um, I think there has definitely been some increased appreciation for, sure. for teachers um, and the work that they do. Um, but yeah, language teachers are very much included in that as well as all teachers, all teachers out there doing a very, very good job at the moment. Yes. And I hope that love for teachers continues post post coronavirus. There was a stat that I came across that kind of shocked me, but I guess kind of didn't at the same time that students in Australia spend the least t- time on second language learning of students in all of the OECD countries. Um, oh wow! Gosh, I'm not su- I'm not surprised by that. No, no, I <laughs> which know. Which is which is terrible, but I'm not surprised by it at all. 
Yes, I know. And given, I mean, I know there's there's a whole different policy of language learning in the EU and um, something that we could, you know, delve into at another time. But um, we just don't seem to allocate the the time on language learning in our school curriculum. And I think another stat that I came across that on average approximately 54 minutes per week was allocated to language study at a primary primary level in Australia. Um, less than an hour. Less than an hour, yeah. And less than an hour. Yeah. And I thought, well, it's really hard to for kids to – to grasp any concepts in that time and, and to even, I guess, develop a love for, for languages if in such a kind of a paltry amount, isn't it? I don't know. Yeah, that's right. Exactly. Um, it's it, it's such a, yeah, such a complicated issue. I mean, when you, when you say that, <laughs> that Australian school students spend the least time on second languages of students in all OECD countries, I'm like, I, I am not surprised by that, but I'm... I'm certainly not proud of it. Um, yeah. and, and I think that really does come back to what, what we were saying about how it's not, you know, our languages just have they not been given enough of the time of day in Australia. But for somewhere that is so multicultural and that does have such genuine linguistic diversity in our, in our society, it's bizarre that we don't even accord an hour, potentially an hour's worth of time to to languages in primary schools here. Uh, um, yeah. You know, it's, it's because it's not it's not that we are lacking the the diversity in our in our general society. You know, people are speaking lots of other languages, so why doesn't that translate into um, into the way we teach uh, or into the way you, we we're, we're learning and being motivated to learn? I feel like you've hit the nail on the head there, Beck. Like that is, uh, yeah. Very well said point and a huge question to ask ourselves and to ask our policymakers on our behalf. Yeah. <laughs> now, we haven't even had a chance to talk about this yet, um, that that is the national policy on languages mm. in Australia, which we do, we do have a national policy on <laughs> languages. Um, it was published in 1987. Um, 1987? We even born then, Beck. <laughs> no. <laughs> Not quite yet. Not quite yet. Um, but that's, there's a lot of what we, what we've been talking about today that definitely links into that um and i think we, we might have to have another episode where we where we go into this a little bit further because there's there's definitely some more in this for sure and there's some been some really great current recent um conversations around the push to revise and renew and to relook at a whole national approach approach for language learning and I think yes there is much more to say um also if you've been listening and you have got some particular thoughts comments or questions about this whole discussion that we're having and the more we talk about it the more we realize how broad and huge and deep it all goes please get in touch because we would love to hear from you and hear your thoughts but um, for today, I guess we might we might have to cut that short because we're running out of time. So thanks for joining us on Language Chats today. Um, Language Chats is part of a larger project which we started called Language Lovers AU, where we're building a community of people who are interested in languages in Australia. 
Check out our website and subscribe to our mailing list at languagelovers.com.au. And you can also find us over on Instagram and on Facebook at languagelovers.au. And please, if you've enjoyed our episode, leave us a review and a rating and it helps other language lovers find us. Thank you. See you next time. See you next time.